Welcome, everyone. Welcome. This is our first uh, raw call with the masters. To give you a guideline of where we're going with this, and just to let you know what to expect, you have to be like have your a game to even be on this call. And my job is essentially to facilitate, uh, ask the really hard questions, get the uh, the sweat going, you know, between the butt cracks, so that in these uh, people that we're actually talking to. Uh, you know, give you real information, information that can really help change the way that you see the world, change the way that, uh, you know, your paradigm shifts occur. I was having a great conversation last night and I was saying that, you know, one of the greatest skill sets that you can have in your arsenal is the ability to help people with a new perception or we call it a reframe. And so what my intention is, is to kind of guide the conversations and along such a path that whatever you're struggling with, you may have a different outlook on things at the end of this call. So uh, whether this call is 20 minutes or an hour and a half, I have no time frames in mind. I just want to see if I can really distill out success concepts that will help you uh, transform your life. So uh, with regards to whatever this individual is going to be talking about today, we have our own very distinguished Dr. Gaba, uh, and his premium success that I would say of after observing him for the last several years is twofold. One, in his ability to make vast sums of money. Uh, he is financially set up. He has been that way for almost a dozen years now and on multiple different fronts. What makes that so impressive is uh, I, I like to think or tell him he's got the, the Midas touch. Just He goes into things with forethought and makes sure that all of the bases are covered before he commits. Uh, so you're going to get a ton of information on money, concepts about money and how to make money. But more so than that is, uh, I think, his philosophical views on life. And so uh, life and money are going to be the topics today. By the way, this is not scripted. He has no idea the questions I'm going to ask or where I'm going to lead this call. And to be quite frank, neither do I. So Dr. Gava, welcome. And uh, let's get going. I would like to start by just... Letting you give the audience uh, a brief history of the Dr. Gaba. Um, I, I know that your history being that you've, you know, your life, uh, you were born in India and went through some pretty crazy shit over there and then came to Canada, went through some other crazy shit and, you know, against all odds, has now made you the man you are today. So just give me the, the, the overview of your childhood growing up in India and what drove you to, and your family to move here. Um, first off, uh, thanks for having me here. At, uh, Law of Association says that uh, birds of a feather flock <laughs> together, so there's no way that I would be hanging out with you uh, on this, in this beautiful afternoon. It's afternoon while we're doing this and it'd be a mistake or it would be with someone that I wouldn't admire myself. So, you know, you, uh, I believe that this is a privilege, especially to be hanging out with the distinguished Dr. Kelly himself. Um, so not to sidestep the question. Uh, yeah, it is a raw call. I, I don't know what you're going to ask me. I didn't know that you were going all the way to my childhood, but you know, it's fair game. And uh, so, 
you know, the, the earliest memories that I have uh, are uh, are about uh, growing up in New Delhi. As, as you know, I was born in New Delhi. And the, the key ideas that I remember very early on uh, was that money was going to be an issue in the family. You know, India is not exactly uh, an affluent country, and especially in the time, in the decade that I was uh, born, which was in the 70s. Uh, and so, you know, I, rem- I recall uh, my parents uh, being there uh, with uh, my grandparents and then my dad's sister. And so there was about, uh, you know, six of us uh, that were all staying in uh, essentially one bedroom. And this was a rented situation, so they were tenants. But uh, being a tenant in those days in India was was very unique because it uh, it meant that you were you know subject to any abuse that the landlord could dole at you. So it was it was quite a different relationship. And uh, I remember uh, very early on that that I knew that money was something that uh, that was an important part of. Uh, success and, and life expression and because I remember my father always talking about it it was a t- point of contention in the house um, my father used to be uh, a door-to-door salesman at one point in India which is not really you know <laughs> there's not enough doors first off but when there are it's uh, it's a unique situation right and so and my mom was struggling and my grandfather was retired so so I witnessed a lot in that regard, and your voids create your values. So early on, I knew that uh, that real estate, having your own place, uh, is a value that people look for, uh, for uh, survival and security. And you have to have a certain amount of financial wherewithal to, uh, to, to accomplish things in life. Do you want me to? So that's the initial stage, that, right? That that's the initial stage. But uh, I remember you telling me a story about you know when your family decided it was time to get out, right? Uh, and what drove you guys to decide you know you, you can't stay in that environment any longer. Okay. And then when you got here uh, to Canada, what was that like for that first you know six months a year? <laughs> so kind of there's a year in your life that was I, I I believe in just knowing you that kind of was that thing that transformed everything. Yeah. You know, uh, from the six months before you left India to the six months when you got here to Canada, that had to be an incredibly transformative time in your life. Well, yeah, and, and uh, so those of you that uh, that are looking at me on the website or whatever images that you can Google of me will know that uh, I am a Sikh. I have a turban uh, on my head. And uh, in India, Sikhs make up a a very small portion of the population. They're about uh, 2%. And at that time, I think think they're even less now. And so it's a minority. And uh, they are a minority. And so in 1984, there was a big... Uh, situation. There was riots where hundreds of thousands of Sikhs were killed, uh, especially in New Delhi. Uh, they were, you know, pulled out, burned, killed. You know, horrible things happened to people, and uh, it, it, it was a genocide. It's referred to as a genocide, actually. So, I remember very clearly that uh, that time and. Uh, 
and the challenge that was there uh, in my life uh, and in and my family's life. We were all, uh, you know, taking refugee status in the neighbors' homes, uh, hiding away. Um, you know, it was it was a very very tough time. We nearly all of us nearly died. I'm actually very grateful, truly grateful, to have experienced life from that point on. And uh, the poverty before then, at times, you know, there's uh, the poverty that uh, is there in general in being in India. Like you're waiting to go get water, your basic necessities are not there. So that that was a that was a huge thing. And somehow or another, my my father was resourceful enough to uh, to make immigration happen to Canada. But when you do arrive here. Uh, we talk about it at Epic Mentors, the seven areas of life, physical, mental, spiritual, family, financial, social, career, that uh, it was a huge shift in our social aspect, in our career aspect, in our financial aspect, and every other aspect. So, you know, you arrive, uh, you leave as a minority being threatened and everything else, and then you arrive here and you're a minority again, right? And so it's not like in, in those days... Uh, it was a easy situation to be uh, uh, what was what was referred to as a packy and uh, to be there and uh, so there was it was an abusive time but which also really uh, those pain points transform into purpose points and it was amazing because it really sharpened my intellect and my communication skills because I had to navigate through some pretty interesting conversations uh, as well as I had to figure out what my strengths were and uh, I was I've been blessed with an intellect that was decent enough that I could um, I could use school and homework and all of those exercises and activities as a place where I could help people and show them that I could be useful it's very important for every human being to know their utility to others and I knew that I could be uh, a utility uh, for helping people get across their homework, help them uh, do better on tests. Uh, and so I did what I could and to gain favor. So it was it was a tough time. There was many times when, uh, you know, uh, I faced some physical and verbal abuse. But uh, now that I look back at it, we all know that uh, everything th like that in our lives tends to serve a purpose, and it did in mine as well. Mm -hmm. So I remember uh, you and I had multiple discussions. Um, <clears throat> obviously, you you moved here when you were 13? Mm -hmm. 13. Yes. And uh, got yourself... On, on, you know, like you say, a, a fast track intellectually, uh, knowing that you uh, you didn't want to be, uh, you know, a, another cab driver or, you know, yeah. whatever, whatever, you know, you had you had bigger goals, bigger missions in life. Tell me about because I know you had a goal. You told me once that you wanted to make a million dollars before you were thirty. Yes. Tell me that in terms of when you decided to set that goal and what it was like when you achieved it. Okay, so the decision to get there uh, happened actually, uh, I, would, I would have to say right about when, uh, so the story there is, is 
when I was uh, when I got my chiropractic license, it was uh, it was December of 2000, and uh, Rena uh, was. Uh, you know, we, we were planning our life together at that time. We knew that we were going to be together. But uh, at that time, all of a sudden, we found out that uh, Rena's expecting as well. And so that was a time when I had my, uh, I had my degree, but I didn't have my license. Mm-hmm. And now I realize there, there's going to be a kid coming. And I just was appalled at my financial situation. And so you were you were how old? And in two thousand, you were. I was twenty five. Twenty five. Okay. Yeah. So twenty four. So, yeah. So and, I, and you yeah. were you were like broke. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna share with you how broke <laughs> okay. because it's negative, right? Because <laughs> okay. you're also having uh, student loans. Yes. So, so I I knew that there was something that had to be done, and at that time, you also have to you know pay the bills, and if you don't have if you have a degree, but you don't have a license to implement the degree, then you really can't make any money with this degree. fancy ass degree. Piece of degree. paper is worthless. Piece of paper is worthless. So I became, I got a job uh, as, and I didn't want to go to my parents for a job again, because I used to work in retail at their, uh, they used to have a fabric store, East Indian fabric store. So in other words, uh, selling saris and uh and Punjabi suits, like ethnic dresses to ladies. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm done with it, right? So I became a telemarketer. So, <laughs> all right. This yeah. is a new story. I've never heard this before. Yeah, this yeah. is great. So I became a telemarketer uh, to make uh, money. And uh, so, uh, and so this was a telemarketing company, and the company that I was representing you know, that they had a contract with was the newspaper in town. And uh, so I was selling subscriptions for newspapers. Uh, And so that was fine. Uh, That was good. Then, of course, you get paid when someone gets a subscription. So then I also realized that my name wasn't really, you know, doing the job. It was too ethnic as well. So I was like, okay, well, so I became, so I used uh, an alias. So it was Mike Green. (laughs) Seriously. Oh my gosh! Okay. Yeah, you didn't know this. Was I didn't know this. This is awesome. Okay, so so I was Mike Green. So I use that. I, I remember that name very clearly. And uh, so I was taking the bus, public transportation. I was waiting for it, and I was like, you know what? What would really set some, like, give me financial freedom? Because at that time, you know, you start to. There's a huge. There, we have this in life, right? We have the the the, the greater the stage of desperation the greater the fantasy, right? That's why uh, I think that people in a lower financial or socioeconomic state will play the lottery more than mm. someone who is you rich, bet. right? You bet. Because they have a higher fantasy, because they have a fantasy about something that is not uh, real, right? So, you know, the neat thing there was that, uh, that at that time, I, you know, the fantasy got created that I needed, I needed to be a millionaire because that's just what it was. Mm-hmm. And that's where the thing started. But I also had no clue properly how to get there. Um, and it became very abundantly clear that as soon as I got my license, I started to learn a little bit more about, um, uh, you know, what this profession can offer. I started to dig deep into it, how I could leverage it. 
the you know the telemarketing didn't hurt at all learning how to sell stuff via the phone i knew the retail market so i became a very good salesman mm. and which really helped me manifest what needed to happen and uh, and lo and behold uh, it continued to sort of just realize itself because somewhere along the way it doesn't become a fantasy or it doesn't become a dream if you know how to get there and i knew how to get there and I knew that it was going to be through real estate. Uh, and uh, and also, I knew that you cannot do uh, great real estate deals if you don't have proper cash flow. And I knew that the only way to have proper cash flow was going to be through my practice. And so it became a very, uh, in my world, a simple formula that I needed to secure my cash flow to be inside your practice, inside my practice to leverage to get, you know, to increase my net worth. Okay. So now you're uh, 25, 26 years old. You start your practice. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> struggle a little bit in practice, but, you know, get it get it kind of up and running. Uh, maybe not enjoying it all, but at least no. it's it's cash flowing now. Yeah. And so now you're, you say you're like 29-ish, and I want you to just give us the overview on that the like the the moment that you found out you were a millionaire because like clearly it, it it you know when you when you did that you did it in real estate yeah real estate and, and, and you know yeah. just cash yeah actual right? cash yeah so uh, what was that like for you when you when you're driving home or whatever came from the bank whatever and you actually realized that you were thirty years old or you were just were you, were you thirty or just before thirty oh yeah I was I was twenty nine you were twenty nine yeah so, okay. it was it was really momentous and I have to say that it was uh, sort of you know it was it wasn't like I was counting down you know there's a story about Jim Carrey and you know how you he betcha. wrote himself a yeah. check and then you know the day that he thought he was going to be able to cash it was like a day before that he got the contract for his movie um, I wish I could say that it was that glamorous <laughs> or that uh, Hollywood-esque um, it wasn't it was more of a, you know, almost a surprise because I didn't really do a, and and most of you listeners out there realize this maybe, and maybe you have done this exercise or maybe you haven't done this exercise. Is, is it's kind of like getting on, the weigh scale. People that have been fat tend to fear it. Right. Okay. All right. You know, you're like, yeah. oh shit, I gotta go get on the weigh scale, mm-hmm. right? And because you're just afraid of that number, because that number is a label that's gonna indict you into this, you know, this this emotional environment that you don't want to exist in, and this environment of low self-esteem and all of mm-hmm. that. So you know, be, because finances were a, a high enough value for me, I was almost afraid at times to get on the weigh scale to see what the weight was, and uh, so. Right about when I was 28, 20, yeah, around there, my my coach said, okay, well, you know, uh, you need to start looking at your uh, net worth. So you need to compile your assets and your liabilities and find out how much your financial net worth is. And I pretty much just said, you know, F you. Like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Like, I'm working hard. I'm getting this done. Just don't. No, no, no. He goes, no, you need to do it. And I just didn't bother all that stuff but then I was going for this this decent real estate deal and this time around they needed my you know full net worth done 
and that's when I sent it. I, I did the homework assignment. As soon as I did it, that's when it hit me. And I stood with that and I was like shocked. I was shocked and I didn't know what to do. And the one thing that became abundantly clear also at that time I was obviously very, very grateful because definitely I was emotional. Um, there were tears, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but then also it became everything after that point. It was very liberating because everything after that point wasn't about me. How so? Because I just didn't feel like it was like I had no, it wasn't about needs. It was started to become more about wants. It started to become more about, okay, like what, if you can do this in this time frame, what do you really want? Because now you're free. And wow. so that really changed things. And, and so I started to, to go into that feeling sphere that I'd never existed in before. And I just want to put this in context for everybody, because maybe some of you are out there like this, is if you've relied on your intellect, which I described to you that that was my only saving grace for mm-hmm. many, many, many years. And, and so if you've relied on your intellect, or essentially what you would know to be your, all your life, it's very hard to break the pattern of being yourself and going to that feeling zone. And that was my first ever uh, sort of, you know, you're walking in, uh, you go to the pool, you're about to you know, see what the pool is going to be like, and you just touch your toe on the water. And you, you know, you feel the temperature, you're, you're curious, okay, am I going to go into this pool? Am I not going to go into this pool? Do I want to get wet? Do I not want to get wet? That was the feeling of, okay, uh, I'm into a place called feelings and I'm not sure if I can, uh, I can go there, but that's, that's how it felt like. Wow. So I think now would be a really great time. Because that was, uh, you just turned 40. Yeah. So that was 10 years ago. Uh, if you're comfortable, I, I would love it if you would just give everybody uh, your brief resume resume of your business accomplishments uh, in the last 10 years. Well, one of my, um, first off, I just want to tell everybody out there that, uh, you know, those accomplishments uh, are nice, but the key ones are also the, the ones that were challenging as well, right? Because I also have been uh, sued uh, many times. I have been going, I've gone through, uh, you know, failed businesses many times. So I want to let everybody out there know that, that you know, when these conversations happen, uh, it is a typical situation of, oh yeah, this is, these are all the things that went right. Um, I want you to know that I had more things go wrong than went right. <laughs> and that's the really, really cool part is, uh, is, is just that first off. So from an accomplishment standpoint, uh, you know, you also have to be lucky uh, in certain things, right? So I did, like I said, uh, our real estate uh, holdings are in, uh, in those times just in Alberta. In Edmonton, it's, this is an oil-based mm-hmm. situation which experienced an increase, uh, a boom 
during uh, during about 2005, 2006, right? So that was a big deal that really boosted uh, the accomplishments because what I did was I bought real estate, um, bought residential real estate, bought commercial real estate, bought commercial land, and then developed the land so that it provided something to the community that the community could use. And anytime you take something that has, is not serving, because I want to say this in context to the listeners out there, anything, anytime you take something that's not serving anybody, like raw land, and you create something on that land that people can live in or people can do business in, people can visit in, you're going to get handsomely paid. So I was handsomely paid. <laughs> the real estate development uh, ventures uh, uh, is something that I w- I'm a big part of t- to this day. Uh, the other business that I got involved in was food service to a uh, you know to a small extent. My wife uh, Rena uh, is uh, she actually uh, while we were going through our financial struggles, she uh, had quit med school. She didn't want to be a medical doctor. She didn't believe in it because of all of the uh, all of the things that uh, we all know as chiropractors to be true in in the laws of the universe and the way that healing works. She just couldn't. She didn't. She wasn't inspired by it, so she has her own story uh, of uh, of why she got into finance. But she became an accountant, and so when she became an accountant, she worked for uh, someone that I met through my chiropractic practice, who was in the food sector, and so she got involved in restaurants. And so I delved into investments in restaurants as well, and so uh, I still own some restaurants. Uh, and uh, the most fascinating one was a bar that I bought that I lost a lot of money in that I think everybody should know about <laughs> where it was an emotional decision. And, you know, this is huge. Emotions uh, and strategy are two key different things. And strategies build wealth and emotions can destroy wealth. So we had bought this bar as a, as a, as a hangout and thought that we could do better and we got our butts kicked. So... You know, so that was. There but was you that. learned a lot. Oh yeah, I learned. I learned a lot. I learned an absolute huge lot, and I learned two things. Number one is is don't make emotional decisions when it comes to to wealth, this and be prepared to exit out of anything. And the second thing is is you cannot ever, ever, ever overpay for systems and processes. So if someone has designed systems and processes for you, and if you feel like you're paying too much for them, don't worry about it. You will be way better off paying for it because you can scale that way quicker. It's also going to save you some time. It's going to save you some energy. Never hesitate to pay for systems and processes. And so uh, our investment business there flourished in the food sector because we followed certain formulas. The um, the chiropractic practice always did well, right? As you know, because we're partners now <laughs> in uh, in those, and so uh, you know we've we've done well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are you know we we've, we've got what five six clinics here, we've got uh, that are that are doing amazing, and um, you know what we're really excited about our clinics. What I what I'm really most excited about uh, come in the next year is is how the expansion has created such a huge economies of scale and it's going to in the profession and if those chiropractors listening out there i I would love for you to to reach out to us and connect with us on how 
systems and processes within our divine spine concept can help you but uh we'll leave that shameless plug aside and it's well placed yes thank you yes and so yeah so we've got the real estate development we've got the the restaurant situation going then the the clinics mm -hmm. right and i also uh, started to realize that from a financial standpoint uh, i helped others get money so i created an investor pool for people to uh, to be a part of our uh, success in uh, in heritage valley capital and and do that with us and so i you know so building real estate wealth building as well. real yeah. estate wealth as well and so yeah that's that's what it is and we've done hundreds of millions okay of so that, let's, of, let's get yes. let's, let's 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 just get right into the hard the brass tacks right how many um how many millions of dollars of real estate have you developed over a hundred over a hundred million how many employees do you have now over a hundred over a hundred and I know you just went through some restructuring got rid of a lot of things that were taking simplicity out of your life uh, and you are you at one point owned how many restaurants uh, about eight eight and now you have four four so you got rid of the ones that three three to four yeah three to four okay yeah, yeah. all right so definitely uh in the last 10 years uh you've been working hard nope no, i know <laughs> we'll get to that in a moment yeah, okay all right so tell me um tell me about this is now we're going to move away from money because i think we've established that you know you've got that taken care of but one of the things that i find profoundly interesting about you is your philosophies your philosophies on life, your ability to help people see things different from a different perception. And as we've both talked many times, that perception is reality. Mm -hmm. Whatever your perception is, it is the truth. Absolutely. And and if, if you haven't understood that yet as a listener, uh, I don't think there's a more important concept in your life to embrace. Because truth is only based around perception. So what it would you say would be the one philosophy principle uh, that absolutely has changed your life more than any other? You know, uh, the one philosophy, it's very, like you're asking a very I know, that's like like the powerful question and yes. that too without preparation because you were very clear that you didn't want any any type of a, you didn't want to give me any hints on what this call is going to be about or what you're going to ask me. Um, the one thing that is really, really key is, is there is absolutely uh, no right or wrong, no good or bad, no, um, you know, no good or evil, no, uh, there, there is absolutely nothing that is, you know, the way it is. Like it's, there is no, like, hey, this is the way it's got to be. There is, there's infinite possibilities. There is no truth. There is no lie. There are no, the binary universe that you guys may think exists it doesn't exist one of the reasons why i still uh, ascribe to the Sikh philosophy or i ascribe to some of the teachings of balance is because that's where yeah if if i had to 
if I had to, if, if someone put a, uh, a gun to my head and said, hey, you know what, you're going to have to say that this is the truth. Otherwise, you die, I'd rather choose death. Because I know that there is, that that's the one philosophy I will not give up. Wow, that there is no truth. Uh, I, I find that to be incredibly powerful. Um, and I can tell you that in, in our experiences, in our dealings, uh, that philosophy completely changed uh, my life in the introduction to that philosophy because uh, when we had first started to talk and develop our relationship, um, I was harboring an intense amount of guilt and uh, it was very self-destructive about uh, uh, a past relationship that I had. And without your reframe, your guidance, your perceptual uh, you know, deviations to what I, what my, I was holding as my own truth, I certainly would never be able to be here right now just because it was, it was a very destructive time in my life. So I wanted to thank you for that and let you know how uh, profound that was in in my world uh, and and moving myself forward. So, you know, I understand why that is the most powerful philosophy that you hold. And I, I have to agree that uh, it certainly has helped me a lot as well. So, well, uh, you're welcome. And uh, because I don't want to think that your uh, gratitude is is not valuable. It is valuable and, and you're welcome. Uh, and thanks for saying that. Uh, the other thing I have to also let you know is, is, I, you know, I also think that there is no original thought. So it wasn't the <laughs> thought that, you know, I was uh, born with. I was taught this. Uh, you know, I was just, you know, I just happened to attract a lifestyle within it because I have seen people condemned, um, killed, um, you know, made fun of, be guilty of you know, their version of some truth and there really is no truth. So we have to let people be people and let them be authentic. And I think it's a huge, uh, a, a huge situation issue in the universe, in the world. If we, if we don't let, um, people be authentic, you know, that's the one thing because we have kids, both you and I have children. Um, and you know, I would want my children to be, uh, honored for who they are, their truth, and never to be uh, judged, you know? Yes. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, the fact that you allow people to be people uh, and always find the best that that person is bringing out in the situation and coupled with your statement that it's always perfect uh, is very profound and it's a beautiful way to go through life. So uh, obviously... Which leads us directly to the next area of your life. Uh, you have some really interesting routines I know of, uh, or I've heard pieces of uh, on a daily uh, basis. You do very specific things um, daily, weekly, monthly. I'm sure you do them yearly. Uh, tell us your daily routine that you do not deviate from. Well, the the first day uh, I wish it was sex, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, 
that's uh but you're getting older now anyways well or you know yeah. i am married yeah right and so uh i just thought i'd uh, plug that in in case rena's listening and just letting you know that this is what i wish it was <laughs> but it's not that and you know my daily routine uh stems from the fact that you we're we're like these uh, our brains our minds our souls uh they're uh they are their systems like well, what is that what is that transmission and a receiving system like a radio kind of thing radio broadcast a radio yep. broadcast but also the one that that this listening so what are those called i'm trying to think my english may be escaping me but anyways it's certainly escaping me yeah so. no, yeah, no, no yeah, well yeah. whatever it is the point is is we're tuned in right we're tuners right so we got to tune our our vibrations uh and we have to tune our energy and so what I do is, is in the morning when I wake up, I have a meditation room in my house that, um, that I will go into and I will sit there and meditate in silence. Uh, and then when I feel like I've got the right sort of energy, um, I have my affirmations. My affirmations are about 150 statements that uh, I've committed to memory. And I will loudly say them and so that I make sure I hear myself. And they are variations of exactly what we're talking about, ensuring that, uh, that I understand my own life principles and I hear them before I leave the house. So that's a daily routine that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, I also... Uh, How long does that take you, by the way? 15 minutes. 15 from the time you walk in the room yeah 10 to 15 minutes oh that's not bad no it's it's not too long at all it's a you know it's it is surprising to me as well because first off i say them really quickly because i have realized that um and it's really neat because this is this is kind of funny if i say them slowly my memory isn't as sharp as i say them quickly (laughs) so i don't know what the deal is but (laughs) I have yeah. to be quick about to it. To look them up. If yeah, you're... exactly. Like the brain, I don't know yeah. how that works. Maybe uh, there's a great book called The Organized Mind by Daniel J. Levitin. Maybe he's got an answer there somewhere. But anyways, the point is, is that's what happens. And and I won't leave until I feel like my energy is right. And so that's one thing. The second thing that usually happens, and I try to do, and it's not a daily routine at all, but like I'd like to do this uh I'd like to have it as a daily routine, but it sometimes get missed, gets missed if there's an urgent meeting or a very important meeting that I must attend, is I try to have that uh, morning date with Rena mm-hmm. at, the, at the Starbucks. So, uh, you know, I set aside time for that. That is, a, uh, that is a, a very important time. And so that's one of the rituals or the routines that I have. Uh, there's a few neat ones before I enter practice because before I touch another body for the intent of correcting a subluxation, which is to raise the universal energy and the innate energy in that system, um, it is like I, I will, before I enter the clinic, I'll always uh, do the same kind of ritual that I do uh, if I'm entering a temple is I'll bow my head, I'll touch the ground and put it on my forehead and so that's something that I do just to sort of anchor myself, to remind myself that uh, that I have to show up there uh, with curiosity and with a with a with an attitude of service. 
So that's there. That's something that's common in uh, in our culture and practice. And so it's an, I, I like it. So I've kept it. In uh, weekly routines, I like my Sunday 4 to 6 is a very, very you know, important time. I like to journal extensively, uh, write extensively to myself uh, and sort of plan my week, month, year as much as I can. I also, uh, so those are some of the, some of the big ones. Okay. Yeah. That, that's awesome. Um, <clears throat> kind of leads me to our kind of a bit of a, a wrap up here, but if you were um, going to give advice to someone who is struggling, uh, uh, a, your, one of your kids or a family member, you know, a close colleague, someone that you care deeply about and you knew that they were struggling and you knew that there was one thing that, you know, they needed beyond all others that would help them through this, that one key point that you have held on to that, you know, really has helped change your life, what would be that one success tip that you would give someone who's like, just, they're down and out. They're struggling. They need something. They need something to hold on to. They need an anchor. What would be the one thing that you could tell them that would make the difference? I would have to say that they need to go and sit in quiet with a the sheet of paper, a couple of sheets of paper, and just lock themselves up if they want to and do not come out until they have written down where they're already successful at because it doesn't exist that point of you can't you cannot be struggling in everything you're going to be successful in something if you're really if even if like you're out there you're thinking no I suck at everything make a list of all of those things you suck at and say you have a great memory so <laughs> So honor yourself for your wonderful memory because I can tell you no one sucks at everything and no one is struggling in everything. And once you start to uncover that, then, you know, that would be one A and one B would be to find out what, because that's going to give you a reflection of it, to find out who you are and who, where are you the best at on the planet on one thing. On one thing. On one thing. Like where if your life was on the line and pretty much if you lost this one competition, right, you'd be gone. So you have to invite you have to invite a competitor on your turf. So what is your turf? Right? And so uh, I think it's really, really crucial for every human being. That's what I would tell my kids. That's what I would tell because, you know, we have to realize that we're geniuses and we are geniuses. And there is one thing that no one can compete with us at in the world. And if we the sooner we uncover it, the easier life becomes. So <clears throat> let's say, for example, uh, obviously one of your areas of mastery would be money. And someone is really like really struggling money wise, but they're say uh, say they're a great father to their kids. Uh, they have they're really struggling with the money, but they've gone in the room. They've decided that you know the one thing that they are the best in the world at is being a father to their amazing kids. What would they do with that information now that they've got it? Very easy. So like, and this is a raw call, but this is what I. If you're a great father to your kids, but you're struggling with money, go 
and start to initially, uh, you know, volunteer with big brothers and big sisters and then create a fatherhood coaching program and, you know, talk about like, you know, get credibility and prove it to everybody that you can be a great mentor and a great teacher to young people. And then from there on, leverage that and maybe contract out a fatherhood coaching service to all the daycares out there. Maybe there's fathers struggling. Maybe you start a fatherhood support group and charge everybody an admission fee. Maybe you write a book. You know, there's, you know, information that no one else knows. And it's going to be unique to your experience. And therefore, no one can ever compete with you. So there's a business right there. Uh, if they, if they, you just created <laughs> on a whim. Yeah. Well, and that's about the point where as long as they give themselves the freedom to not judge themselves for being bad at money and rather than that, judge themselves on being good at, you know, fatherhood, that's great. But now how do you monetize it? I'll give you a great example. Initially, when I started uh, working with real estate uh, people and I wanted them to invest with with me on their developments and times I would meet people way wealthier financially you know, just in the bank account situation. And I would be really nervous because when you're worth uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars and the guy across from you is worth 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 million dollars, there's a and you're a chiropractor and you're asking him as a chiropractor to go and invest in his real estate, pro like in your real estate project where they don't even see that you have the credentials to do something like this. Can you imagine someone being nervous? Oh my God! Yeah, I mean, like you, you shouldn't even be in the room. You shouldn't even be in the room. And so exactly what was happening was was my skin, my skin was crawling. It was like, okay, what am I even doing? And then I, uh, then uh, one of my uh, one of my coaches, uh, John Demartini, he's he made he made me realize that everybody's got wealth in every area, right, or certain areas. So. I had to get creative. He gave me some assignments. And then the next time when people uh, sort of challenged me on the fact that, hey, you're, you know, you're a chiropractor. I'm worth millions of dollars. Who are you? Uh, and I said, well, you know, actually, to tell you the truth, you're, uh, you know, you're, you, you've got to catch up to me. And they were, what do you mean? Well, I said, I work with, uh, you know, a human body and its financial value is worth at least five to ten billion of technology and of, you know, very, very crucial, um, you know, wealth, right? And so I said, I, I work with, you know, at least, at least on a bad day, if I see like, you know, let's just say 60 patients. And so that's, you know, 60 times five, it's uh, you know, 300. So I'm dealing with 300 billion on a daily basis. You're, you still got a lot to go for. And when you start working with people's lives, their money is something very small. And they were quiet and because they understood that I took because they were not asking me about wealth. They were asking me uh, not just about the money wealth, but was I responsible and was I cognizant of, uh, of what I was talking about? And when people see that, that's all that counts. So I found my billions through chiropractic and through psychology. And it was a nice uh, what you call a reframe. Yes. Yes. You could definitely say it was a reframe. Uh, so. Tell me, <clears throat> and I, I'm just kind of bringing this thing to a close here, but tell me, tell me the best book you've ever read that's not, that's not religious, that's not, yeah, yeah. yeah just 
Say, give me the best uh, philosophy book and the best business book you've ever read. Because I know you're, you're a prolific reader, so I know you probably have too many to list. But Yeah, so it's... First off, uh, you know, uh, talking about books, it's really important to read, but at the same time, some of these books become archived and then they never get... Uh, they, they never get used, yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, the other day I was listening to someone who goes, you know, this... Uh, this whole business of self-help is uh, is interesting because eventually all the self-help becomes shelf help, and <laughs> yep, yeah, and it just sits there, right? So good point on that. Um, you're you know you're catching me a little bit off guard on recommending one book and you know for business and one book for philosophy. Philosophy, okay. And you know what? It may even be the same book. We'll tell you what. I'll just I'll recommend. Um, for for philosophy, uh, well, there's there's a few books that must be read, right? So one is for sure uh, Ayn Rand's uh, Atlas Shrugged. Absolutely, okay. gotta read that one. Yeah, you have to. You know, I don't want to call it philosophy, business, whatever you want to put it in. You you have to read that book because if you haven't read that book, you don't. Uh, you know, you're gonna have a really hard time with your emotions in business. It really helps you put things into perspective and really gets you was what she would say create an unborrowed vision um, that being said the uh, you know another book recommendation um, that uh, that you can sort of revert back to uh, that's a because I would I'd love to recommend a bunch of them but the values factor by John Martini is a really good one okay right uh, break the habit of being yourself is, is I really like Joe Dispenza's uh, book. We just talked about The Art of Possibility. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to recommend one. I just can't. It's just, right. It just seems those too... are Those are all incredible books. Yeah. Must reads. So it's it's very, very, very uh, challenging to, to say one book. Uh, yeah. Now, now earlier, um, I had uh, alluded to the fact that, you know, the last 10 years, you know, you've been clearly working really hard. And you kind of scowled at me a little bit there because don't you have a new book coming out? You have a book coming out right now uh, that you're working on. Isn't it hard work to be lazy? Isn't yes. that isn't that your yes, book? Yes, yes, so, uh, yes. Well, that's the one I will want to. I'm working on, and I uh, I want to complete. Mm -hmm. uh, and whenever it will be complete, it will be complete. I'm not attached to the outcome that quickly here, but yeah, that's the that's what I want to call it. it. It's hard work to be lazy because I love simplicity. I love processes. I love the way that things can be created and. Um, and you know, uh, so another book I recommend is, of course, uh, Think and Grow Rich. If the, the two books, now thinking back, it'd be uh, you know Atlas Shrugged and, and Think and Grow Rich. Yeah. I absolutely agree. And so the uh, so that being said, uh, hard work to be lazy is uh, is is about you know it's, it's essentially my life philosophy of row 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 your boat gently down the stream. But to create that simplicity, you have to really work hard at removing distractions. Absolutely. And I know I want to leave the guys here, leave the listeners here with one final thing that I know that uh, just a real strong kind of vision for the future is you also have like a seven, kind of a seven step recipe for manifesting your own destiny. And you kind of shared it with me, you know, 
just kind of a, a very brief overview. And just hearing you speak about it, I think, was in very profound. Uh, the ability to manifest your own destiny if you do these seven things and you do them uh, on a repetitive basis, I think is like incredible. So I know later I'm going to be bugging you to do a whole series of a whole video series on it. Probably going to happen sooner rather than later. So for those of you that are listening, look out for that because uh, I want you just to give the overview on the, that seven-step recipe. Uh, you know, you can keep it down to three minutes or whatever, but just give everybody those seven steps that you have used that will help manifest your own destiny. Okay, so manifestation, uh, so you said a few minutes, three minutes, right? So I just want to first talk about manifestation because we need to understand what that is. And it was a great question before. Uh, you're you're an amazing person uh, in terms of the way you interview people, for sure. You When we do our raw calls, you should be the one speaking. I should be shutting up. Um, do you do this for, like, have you done this before? <laughs> oh, this is raw, man. Holy shit. Okay, um, so manifestation is bringing something essentially, as you call it, out of the ether, right? Uh, or out of, you know, this place uh, where it doesn't have uh, physical existence and then creating it, right? So it's, it's an element, it's a form of creation. And that's what we're talking about here, is to make something that you have, um, you know, you want to create uh, happen. And it requires persistent effort to ensure that you have discipline about it, right? So what you just said is the word recipe. So, you know, we got to cook stuff up. We mm -hmm. have to, you know, we have to give it time. Uh, chiropractic has those 33 principles. And I think principle number six is all processes require time. So it's very uh, important to honor those chiropractic principles. They were geniuses when they made them with, the Steve, uh, with Dr. Stevenson there. So that being said, the manifestation formula that I look at is, uh, is we want it in seven steps. So I would think that it would, the first thing you need is a purpose. So if you don't have a purpose, what's the point? <laughs> what's really the point? You know, once you create a purpose that, you know, if you will, the why and all of that stuff, right, then you have to have a very clarified vision. So vision would be the second ingredient. Mm -hmm. uh, once you have a vision, you need to start um, start to feel these things, right? And start to get a feeling involved. And as the feeling starts to happen, you start to affirm that feeling. So, you know, feeling would be the third, affirmations. Then you start to write. It's very important to, because that's the, you know, you're taking something as a thought and you're putting it into pen and paper. Mm -hmm. So you're already creating physical realities. It's like Schrodinger's cat, right? You know, until then, the cat was dead or alive. So, <laughs> you know, you're, you're really starting to put your observer bias into place and killing it or making it uh, live, right? So you need to start writing it in space and time. And then because it's you're trying to make it happen, it requires persistence. So your persistent action with energy on time and matter. So, uh, you know, so persistent action with energy. It's really important to start to expend energy because then you're showing the universe, you're showing this ether, you're showing that you are putting yourself out there and you're already working on it. You're, you know, because you're putting that energy into it, it's going to happen. And once you feel that, the last step would be to create gratitude. And so, you know, be grateful as if it's already there. 
thank the universe for for having it there and there you go i i feel like you just gave an insight to your daily affirmation to your daily meditation uh, just by what you just went through and then the description of your routines i think the the benefits there to the listener if they actually took some notes on this call and said wow so this is the seven step formula and listen to this again and again you could actually put together your own routine that would allow you to move forward and really transform your life in any area you choose i i didn't give it you actually pulled it out so (laughs) (laughs) well i uh i think we're gonna wrap that because i think this was an amazing call uh as i said i didn't have a preset time frame on how i want along i wanted to go I just wanted to really distill some of the really great information that you've been able to you know, pass along to me over the years. Uh, I look forward to the more and more and more of these calls all the time and more information that I'm going to be able to pull out of you, if you will. And so um, any questions or comments, guys, you can, uh, you can email us. But uh, Dr. Gabba, I want to thank you so much for being uh, here today and give us an hour of your time. Thanks for having me, Kelly, and uh, I really appreciate uh, this uh, this effort that you put forward on this. Cool. Thanks, guys. Yeah.